We're glad you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart.
Calling, calling 
mercies, mercies for you and for me. Come Tenderly, G.
We hope you're enjoying Songs of Praise. Here's some more inspirational music. Save me. 
not O gentle Savior Hear my humble cry While on others Thou art calling Do not pass me Thy throne of mercy Find a sweet relief Kneeling there in deep contrition Help my Thou art 
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music.
trumpet sound in that morning. Gird on the gospel armor of faith and hope and love, and you'll hear the trumpet sound in that morning. And when the combat's ended, he'll carry you above, and you'll hear the trumpet sound in that morning. Oh, shout, glory, I shall mount above the skies when I hear the trumpet sound in that morning. Our ears shall hear with gladness the host of heaven sing and shall hear the trumpet sound in that morning. Our tongues shall speak the glories of our immortal King and shall hear the trumpet sound in that morning. Oh, shout, glory, I shall mount above the skies when I hear the trumpet sound in that morning. Oh, shout, glory, 
I shall mount above the skies when I hear the trumpet sound in that morning. When your faith is running low, when you just can't see.
You're listening to Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God. Anywhere, and when they call my name to defend my reputation. 
fiction, there is only one thing I can say. I'm a wretch, I'm a worm, I'm a no good sinner, but he said I'll save you anyway. And I'm saved like that criminal on the cross. Praise God, I'm saved, no more to suffer loss. Well, he said I would live in paradise, and he's taking care of the cost. Hallelujah, I'm saved. I'm saved like the criminal on the cross. And I'm saved. I'm saved like the criminal on the cross. Praise God, I'm saved, no more to suffer loss. Well, he said I would live in paradise, and he's taking care of the cost. Hallelujah, I'm saved. I'm saved like the criminal on the cross. And I'm saved like the criminal on the cross. Like the criminal on the cross. Hi. 
Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, Talents. Christ has paid us our wages, even his own blood and suffering, to secure our willing service. He came to our world to give us an example of how we should work and what spirit we should bring into our labor. He desires us to study how we can best advance his work and glorify his name in the world, crowning with honor, with the greatest love and devotion, the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 But Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble, all-round character is not inherited. It does not come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by individual effort through the merits and grace of Christ. God gives the talents the powers of the mind, we form the character. It is formed by hard, stern battles with self. Conflict after conflict must be waged against hereditary tendencies. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely and allow not one unfavorable trait to remain uncorrected. Let no one say, I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. The real difficulty arises from the corruption of an unsanctified heart and an unwillingness to submit to the control of God. Many whom God has qualified to do excellent work accomplish very little because they attempt little. Thousands pass through life as if they had no definite object for which to live, no standard to reach. Such will obtain a reward proportionate to their works. Remember that you will never reach a higher standard than you yourself set. Then set your mark high, and step by step, even though it be by painful effort, by self-denial and sacrifice, ascend the whole length of the ladder of progress. Let nothing hinder you. Fate has not woven its meshes about any human being so firmly that he need remain helpless and in uncertainty. Opposing circumstances should create a firm determination to overcome them. The breaking down of one barrier will give greater ability and courage to go forward. Press with determination in the right direction, and circumstances will be your helpers, not your hindrances. Be ambitious for the Master's glory to cultivate every grace of character. In every phase of your character building, you are to please God. This you may do. For Enoch pleased him, 
though living in a degenerate age, and there are Enoch's in this our day. Stand like Daniel, that faithful statesman, a man whom no temptation could corrupt. Do not disappoint him who so loved you that he gave his own life to cancel your sins. He says, Without me ye can do nothing. John 15 verse 5 Remember this. If you have made mistakes, you certainly gain a victory if you see these mistakes and regard them as beacons of warning. Thus you turn defeat into victory, disappointing the enemy and honoring your Redeemer. A character formed according to the divine likeness is the only treasure that we can take from this world to the next. Those who are under the instruction of Christ in this world will take every divine attainment with them to the heavenly mansions. And in heaven we are continually to improve. How important then is the development of the character in this life? The heavenly intelligences will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character which will reach out to perfection in action. To everyone engaged in this work, Christ says, I am at your right hand to help you. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command will be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. Mental Faculties God requires the training of the mental faculties. He designs that his servants shall possess more intelligence and clearer discernment than the worldling, and he is displeased with those who are too careless or too indolent to become efficient, well-informed workers. The Lord bids us love him with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the strength and with all the mind. This lays upon us the obligation of developing the intellect to its fullest capacity, that with all the mind we may know and love our Creator. If placed under the control of His Spirit, the more thoroughly the intellect is cultivated, the more effectively it can be used in the service of God. The uneducated man who is consecrated to God and who longs to bless others can be and is used by the Lord in His service. But those who, with the same spirit of consecration, have had the benefit of a thorough education, can do a much more extensive work for Christ. They stand on vantage ground. The Lord desires us to obtain all the education possible with the object in view of imparting our knowledge to others. None can know where or how they may be called to labor or to speak for God. Our Heavenly Father alone sees what He can make of men. There are before us possibilities which our feeble faith does not discern. Our minds should be so trained that if necessary we can present the truths of His Word before the highest earthly authorities in such a way as to glorify His name. We should not let slip even one opportunity of qualifying ourselves intellectually to work for God. Let the youth who need an education set to work with a determination to obtain it do not wait for an opening, make one for yourselves. Take hold in any small way that presents itself. Practice economy. Do not spend your means for the gratification of appetite or in pleasure-seeking. Be determined to become as useful and efficient as God calls you to be. Be thorough and faithful in whatever you undertake. Procure every advantage within your reach for strengthening the intellect.
let the study of books be combined with useful manual labor, and by faithful endeavor, watchfulness and prayer, secure the wisdom that is from above. This will give you an all-round education. Thus you may rise in character and gain an influence over other minds, enabling you to lead them in the path of uprightness and holiness. Far more might be accomplished in the work of self-education if we were awake to our own opportunities and privileges. True education means more than the colleges can give. While the study of the sciences is not to be neglected, there is a higher training to be obtained through a vital connection with God. Let every student take his Bible and place himself in communion with the great teacher. Let the mind be trained and disciplined to wrestle with hard problems in the search for divine truth. Those who hunger for knowledge that they may bless their fellow men will themselves receive blessing from God. Through the study of His Word, their mental powers will be aroused to earnest activity. There will be an expansion and development of the faculties, and the mind will acquire power and efficiency. Self-discipline must be practiced by everyone who would be a worker for God. This will accomplish more than eloquence or the most brilliant talents. An ordinary mind, well-disciplined, will accomplish more and higher work than will the most highly educated mind and the greatest talents without self-control. Speech The power of speech is a talent that should be diligently cultivated. Of all the gifts we have received from God, none is capable of being a greater blessing than this. With the voice, we convince and persuade. With it, we offer prayer and praise to God. And with it, we tell others of the Redeemer's love. How important, then, that it be so trained as to be most effective for good. The culture and right use of the voice are greatly neglected, even by persons of intelligence and Christian activity. There are many who read or speak in so low or so rapid a manner that they cannot be readily understood. Some have a thick, indistinct utterance. Others speak in a high key, in sharp, shrill tones that are painful to the hearers. Texts, hymns, and the reports and other papers presented before public assemblies are sometimes read in such a way that they are not understood and often so that their force and impressiveness are destroyed. This is an evil that can and should be corrected. On this point, the Bible gives instruction. Of the Levites who read the Scriptures to the people in the days of Ezra, it is said they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Nehemiah 8 verse 8 By diligent effort all may acquire the power to read intelligibly and to speak in a full, clear, round tone in a distinct and impressive manner. By doing this, we may greatly increase our efficiency as workers for Christ. Every Christian is called to make known to others the unsearchable riches of Christ, therefore he should seek for perfection in speech. He should present the Word of God in a way that will commend it to the hearers. God does not design that his human channels shall be uncouth. It is not his will that man shall belittle or degrade the heavenly current that flows through him to the world. We should look to Jesus, the perfect pattern. 
we should pray for the aid of the Holy Spirit, and in His strength, we should seek to train every organ for perfect work. Especially is this true of those who are called to public service. Every minister and every teacher should bear in mind that he is giving to the people a message that involves eternal interests. The truth spoken would judge them in the great day of final reckoning. And with some souls, the manner of the one delivering the message will determine its reception or rejection. Then let the word be so spoken that it will appeal to the understanding and impress the heart. Slowly, distinctly and solemnly should it be spoken, yet with all the earnestness which its importance demands. The right culture and use of the power of speech has to do with every line of Christian work. It enters into the home life and into all our intercourse with one another. We should accustom ourselves to speak in pleasant tones, to use pure and correct language and words that are kind and courteous. Sweet, kind words are as dew and gentle showers to the soul. The scripture says of Christ that grace was poured into his lips, that he might know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Psalm 45 verse 2 and Isaiah 50 verse 4. And the Lord bids us, let your speech be always with grace, Colossians 4 verse 6, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, Ephesians 4 verse 29. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. The mid-16th century saw the rise of Protestantism in England, initiated by King Henry VIII, break from Rome, and nurtured by Edward VI and the nine-day queen, Lady Jane Grey. This was brought to a halt during the reign of Mary Tudor, who reinstated Catholicism in England and earned the title Bloody Queen Mary for her role in the murder of over 260 Protestants. 
things changed when Elizabeth I came to the throne. She reinstated Protestantism and cemented earlier reforms that had started and established the Anglican Church. Catholics, though, viewed her as an illegitimate queen because they never recognized King Henry VIII's divorce from Catherine of Aragon, thus making his marriage to Anne Boleyn, Elizabeth's mother, illegitimate, thus making her an illegitimate queen in their eyes. Rome then wanted to establish a Catholic monarchy and attempted to do this through a military invasion. On the 28th of May, 1588, the Spanish Armada, a fleet of 130 ships, set sail from Spain to England. One of the largest fleets ever assembled at a huge cost to Spain. It had almost double the firepower of the entire English Navy, almost guaranteeing an easy victory. They were first sighted on July the 19th in Lizard, Cornwall, and the news was relayed to London via a system of beacons. Sailing up the English Channel, they missed an opportunity to attack the English fleet, stuck in the tidal mud in Plymouth. Hoping to reach the Netherlands to pick up 30,000 soldiers to battle with the English, they dropped anchor in Calais. On the 29th of July, across from the cliffs of Dover, over in the French waters of Calais behind me, the Armada was attacked by eight English fireships that came in, broke their formation, allowing the smaller and more agile English ships to come in and wreak havoc. The Armada broke up and sailed up the channel to the North Sea while being pursued by the English ships. They continued around Scotland, but much of the fleet crashed onto the rocks of Scotland and Ireland, as in their hasty retreat that many of them had lost their anchors. Of the 130 ships that originally set sail, only 67 of them made it back home. Unaware of the Armada's fate, the English militias assembled in Tilbury, Essex, where Elizabeth was invited to inspect the troops. Wearing a silver breastplate over a white velvet dress, she gave a famous speech. My loving people, we have been persuaded by some that are careful for our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to armed multitudes for fear of treachery. But I assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. I know I have the body but of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and of a king of England too. And think, foul scorn, that Palmer or Spain or any prince of Europe would dare to invade the borders of my realm. When it was clear that the Armada's attempt to overthrow Protestantism had failed, England was relieved and Elizabeth I led a thanksgiving service to St. Paul's Cathedral that was attended by almost as many as her coronation. Many took the defeat of the Armada to be a sign of God's favor and the inviolability of the rule of the Queen and her realm. 
Protestantism was uplifted and medals were inscribed that bore variations of the inscription, God blew the winds and they were scattered, or he blew and they were scattered. While historians debate exactly what was the factor that led to the defeat of the Armada, one thing is clear, providence played a key role. Now in our lives today, it may not be on such a grand scale as the Armada back then, but God still moves through providential circumstances. He doesn't always speak audibly. He doesn't always have a bloodless hand writing on the wall as in Daniel chapter 5. But God still rules in the affairs of men. And in our lives today, He still moves through providential circumstances. May we be open to His leading in this manner. more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.